I have, for the, this, I was counting, this is the fifth time I've taught through Revelation. And I've really, really gone back to just, you know, studying it. Jerry, old Jerry is one of our staff who's on camera today. And he and I were in the same Revelation class in 1984 under uh, Dr. Tom Friskney. And that's where it started. And I've restudied it, and I, I'm pretty sure I know the exact date of Jesus coming back. And if you'll tune in next Sunday, I'll tell you. <laughs> and it's not going to happen before then. I, 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 it's not going to happen before then. Revelation is the subject of so much confusion, isn't it? And speculation and misinformation. Um, really, there are two extremes people take when they look at the book of Revelation. One extreme is obsession. They become obsessed with it. We're going to find the hidden codes that unlock that it's usually the particular president of the United States right now holds the key to everything, right? It's, I, mean, I mean, some of us are old enough to remember when it was Kennedy, and then it was Johnson, and then it was Nixon, and then it was Carter, and then, you know, and it was, you know, it's always the one who's right now because in the United States, we are the center of the universe, right? We are the center of the world. And it usually, it just so it, people get obsessed with it and they lose the heart of our faith. They lose the heart of our faith. William Barclay said it well. He said, Revelation is the playground for religious nut jobs. That's what he meant when he said eccentrics. It is. It's, it's where people go to get crazy. Let's get a little crazy now about this Jesus thing and about the end times. In 1988, some of you might remember if you were part of church back then, I had just started in local church ministry three years before, and a guy came out with a book, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1988. And among churches, it sold like crazy. And as far as we can tell, it didn't happen. As far as we can tell. Some of us were nervous that it did happen, and we got left behind, but... Uh, as far as we can tell, we get it. so guess what he did? He came out with a book in 1989. 89 reasons why it'll happen in 1989. And people bought the book. Because we love that, right? We love that intrigue. And, and the essence of faith is trusting in the one who knows the future. And you don't have to know the future, but yet we still want to know the future, don't we? Don't you want to know what's going to happen tonight in that playoff game in Pittsburgh? Don't you want to know? What's going to happen in Miami tomorrow night? Don't you want to know? Oh, gosh. We have pagans among us, people, who need Jesus. Look at these words. Look at these words right here. So what happens is, is people create charts. And this is the chart of the book of Revelation. It's got doom, false church, remnant saved. Doesn't that clear things up for you? Doesn't that make things so simple? The scriptures, Paul tells us, God is not a God of chaos and disorder. And when I look at that, I see this humanity. We want to know everything that's going to happen. And because we're Christians, we have a corner on the truth. And so we're going to know everything. And it just is, whoa. If you are, you like that, you're going to be disappointed in Revelation. You're going to be disappointed. Because all it is, is an epistle in pictures. It's a letter. Anybody like picture books? It's a letter that's a picture book. These words were written 
desolating earthquakes, sweeping fires, distressing poverty and political wastefulness, private bankruptcy and widespread immorality, which abound in these last days, obviously indicate the Lord is returning immediately. This was an individual who has been so overwhelmed with current events that he wrote this words, these words. These words were written by William Miller in 1843. And he led tens of thousands of Christians down the pathway of disillusionment because they went to a hill and they waited because he knew that 1843, in light of the signs, was the coming of the Lord. And so one of the extremes with this is obsession. We become obsessed with symbols. Next week, you may be interested, we're going to get into the four major mechanisms used by John. Um, Objects, numbers, events, and animals. And, and you'll see why he uses those. And there's a reason why. And it's actually much more clear than you think. G.K. Chesterton said, though St. John saw many strange monsters in his vision, he saw no creature so wild as one of his own commentators. <laughs> and this is true. So we want to avoid that extreme. I just love Revelation, not because it lets me know that, yes, Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist. You know, or, oh, just crazy stuff. But because it shows me Jesus without skin on him. And then you want to see this Christ, right? The other extreme is avoidance. Okay, this is too funky for me. This is too weird for me. I mean, all this talk about four horsemen of the apocalypse and blood and beasts and bowls of wrath and... And people eating scrolls, you know, that tasted bitter. And it's just too weird. And I'm just going to avoid it. Now, this is church, so be honest. Let's just do a mass confession. How many of you have gone to this extreme? Raise your hand. If you've gone to the extreme of just, ah, that's what Charlie gets paid to do is to understand this stuff. Raise your hand. Come on. Come on. Raise your hand. Yeah, you avoided it. And, and. I want to tell you something. There, is, there are four reasons I want to give you to read Revelation. Number one is Revelation is a part of the Bible. Okay, that's a reason. That's really not that deep a reason, but it's a reason. Because you might run into John, the writer of this someday, who wrote it in about AD 90, and right after the, the brutal reign of, of Nero and during the reign of Domitian, who both they had fun torturing Christians. That's why this was written. And why read it? It's in the Bible. And you might run into John someday in heaven. He goes, did you read my picture book? And you go, eh, it's just too weird for me, John. I hate. You're not going to want to say that. You're going to want to say, oh, John, yes, this brilliant teacher taught me how to read the book of Revelation. And I read it for myself out loud. Yeah. Here's another reason Revelation uniquely promises a rich blessing. Revelation does something that no other book in the New Testament does. It promises a blessing if you read it. Now, now, does that not get your interest? Interesting. Verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. By the way, prophecy is not just foretelling the future. Almost 90% of the time in the Bible, it's foretelling truth. I'm actually prophesying right now. It's what we call preaching. And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart. 
what is written in it because the time is near. Now look at this. Blessed is one who reads aloud. The reason is most people in that day weren't literate. And so the person who received it could read it would read it aloud. And by the way, I think there is great power in reading it out loud. Do it in an isolated place or something. Don't do it in the middle of the office cubicles and stuff. That might get a little weird. But then blessed are those who hear it. So in community, we hear it together and then we obey it. And it has a very clear message that we are to obey. That's a very clear message that we're to obey. Being blessed, the word there for blessed, does not mean that your circumstances are going to be turning out the way that you want them to. Often as Americans, we see, oh, we're blessed as we won the lottery. That's how we translate blessed. The word for blessed is actually the same word used by Jesus in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, on the Beatitudes. It was what we would call lucky. Like, like that person has been very fortunate, but it's not in terms of I have... You know, we Americanized Christianity. It's one of the things we saw this week is, is you know, evangelical Christianity. We went, out, we, we went out into America seeking to make America Christian. And what ended up happening is, is, is Christianity got Americanized. That's what ended up happening. And so we see things through the lens. And for us, blessed is, I don't have any troubles. That's not what the word blessed means. The word blessed means you're going to learn to live in the power and the presence of God. You see, these words were written to originally seven churches that were really struggling, most of, mostly with pain, some with apathy. And Jesus writes to them to say, I'll keep you in my, I'll keep you in my lampstand. But I want you to know, in doing so, you're going to learn to live in the glory of my presence and my power. So that nothing that happens to you will remove you from my lampstand. This is a really cool imagery. Number three, revelation sharpens our scripture studying skills. The interesting thing is, we're told in scripture that Jesus told parables so that those who wanted to understand would, and those who wanted to hear would. In other words, he said, this stuff is too valuable to just think you can come to church with your, with your paper sack and go, just give me my little bit of God to go and I'll be fine. No, it requires study. It requires analysis. It requires intellectual pursuit. Do you want this? And really, Revelation is a 22-chapter parable that says, hey, what are, you, what are you willing to do? You know, what are you willing to do? Do you want it? Or do you just want it serve you on a platter and it's easy? No, it's, 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 it's much more valuable than that. And it sharpens your skills, sharpens your studying skills. Number four, revelation provides great intrinsic motivation. This is another way of saying that revelation will scare the crap out of you, okay? It will. But the, the reason is, is because life does not have meaning because it ends. Life has meaning because there's accountability. That what you do here echoes into eternity. Your life now matters. I think one of the most poignant things about Revelation, if after today you'll go home and just read chapters 2 and 3, where he speaks to seven seemingly insignificant churches, Smyrna and Ephesus and Laodicea and Pergamon and Thyatira, etc. And he says, as we'll see in a minute, I'm in the midst of your church. I know you feel like you've been about, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. And this is just very poignant that, that revelation provides intrinsic motivation that the Christ is among us. 
right now. I think one of the most difficult things about leading a church is getting people to understand how meaningful the movement that you are a part of really is. It really is. Because most of us in Dayton have low self-esteem. Like we're a city that has low self-worth. So we think, can anything good come out of Dayton? And Jesus says, yes, my church can. My church can come out of Dayton. You know, my church can come out of Nurk. My church can come out of anywhere. It can come out of Thyatira, which is not as prestigious as Ephesus. Yeah, my church can. And this is just a really poignant thing about Revelation, is I stand in the midst of these lampstands. I am with you, even though you think that I have abandoned you. The book of Revelation's purpose was to encourage and inspire faithfulness to Christ. If like you, or like me, you can't get enough of grit, you're going to love Revelation. Because it grows grit. It grows people who follow Christ no matter what the cost. It grows people who say, though you slay me, yet will I trust you. Those who are faithful were overcome. And the word actually translated more commonly now as will be conquerors. It's a military term that says, you know, what Jesus said, I, take heart, I have overcome the world. The world hasn't gotten me down. I'm still standing. I came out of the tomb, and I'm with you now. And for those of you right now who are totally like me, I mean, I spent two days this week shaking at what happened in Washington, D.C. Just, did you, did you like, did, like Wednesday was an emotional, oh, I'm sitting here on my couch shaking and I have to reroute myself into the presence of the one who lives in me. And he says, now because I live, you will live also. Because I've overcome the world, you'll overcome the world. Your hope is not in the United States of America. Your hope is in me, Charlie. And this is the message of Revelation. I did not know that there was going to be an insurrection at the United States Capitol on January 6, 2021, when months ago we said we're going to do Revelation. But boy, is it good timing or what? I love it when a plan comes together, don't you? I love it. Because, as we'll do today, this is about seeing Christ for who he is. And when you turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face through Revelation, the things of this earth, including insurrections, including battles for power, will grow dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's what will happen. Um, why was Revelation written the way it was, though? Like, you ever ask the question, okay, so couldn't it have been a little clearer? How many of you have ever read chapters 1, 2, and 3, and you go, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging in there. And then you get to chapter 4 and 5 and 6, and oh gosh, this is so confusing. Let me give you an, uh, so dig the dullness out of your ears. Like if you really need to, like stick your fingers in your ears and just dig in there right now and get all the wax out and just spend a few minutes with me in some technical stuff. The book of Revelation is what's called oriental symbolism, oriental apocalyptic. And the word, it comes from the Greek apocalypsis, which means revealing or revelation, unveiling. What revelation is, is God takes the curtain away of reality. And we see reality. What's happening now in the heavenlies. Revelation is not just about what's going to happen. It's what's happening now. Now, 
what was happening then, who was and is and is to come. The one who's present right now. Right now Jesus is in Thyatira because he transcends time and space of the first century. Right now he is in Miamisburg, Ohio, 2021 because he transcends time and space. And right now he's filling the blank. And the, the book of Revelation is fascinating if you let it be what it's meant to be. You'll be surprised to find how much of the book makes sense when you do not try to make it mean something it doesn't mean. Which often that's what we do. We, we, you know, it, it, is, it sells books to make this a reality show. It may, you know, as a, like, did any of you ever live, think you'd live to see the day when reality shows would trump good drama in United States television? You know, like there used to be the streets of San Francisco and Mannix and Telly Savalas was a detective and it was good drama. Why? Because we like reality shows. We like to, to live vicariously through other people's lives. We love drama and that's why we then fit revelation into our need for drama. And actually, it's a really simple message. If you're faithful, I'm going to honor you. And it's told through objects and numbers and events and animals. Revelation was written with an urgent message that needs to be understood and can be understood. I remember sitting in that classroom. Jerry and I can remember what room we were sitting in in that school that no longer exists, by the way. Um, and heard my college closed a few years ago. And sitting there and listening to Dr. Fristney going, oh my gosh, that makes sense. Because I grew up in the, are you pre-millennial or post-millennial? And I learned from Dr. Fristney, I'm pan-millennial. It's going to pan out in the end the way Jesus wants it to pan out in the end. You know, and, and it's not about tr tracking things. The actual discipline is called hermeneutics. It is the science of interpretation. There are actually principles for biblical interpretation. They're not complicated, but there are principles that govern biblical interpretation. You can say, this is what the book of Revelation means to me, but to have an accurate application to your life, you need to know what it meant to the people who originally heard it. You see, hermeneutics is is it eliminates the gap that always exists between the sender and the recipient. Right now, there's a gap between you and me, and I try to use colloquial language and symbols to eliminate the gap that exists, not only between the biblical world and your world you're living in right now, but the gap that happens right now between you and me. Sherry got me a, a new Apple Watch band that has Ohio State logo on it. And so today... Now, I'm drawing attention to this, but I didn't have it because I don't like to wear logos so much because they distract. Like some roll tide nut down there would, <laughs> would see that and he would get distracted. That could happen, couldn't it? It could, it could happen. Roll dang tide, roll dang tide. And, and, and so I thought, you know, today I'm just switching that out because I don't want there to be any distractions. My job is a really difficult one. It's not to speak to be understood. It speaks so as to not be misunderstood. And John's job was the same job, and to do that, he said, I had to put it in language that the, my recipients would understand. Well, you have to understand that language. For example, 80% of the book of Revelation is Old Testament imagery. It's Old Testament. 
The reason he wrote that way is because the Romans didn't know the Old Testament from, uh, you, you know, a new John Grisham novel. And so they wouldn't get the symbolism, but the Christians would. That's why it was written in this, in this language that people would go, oh, that's what that means. That's what that means. Romans, they're clueless. They don't know what that means. We know what that means. It's a really interesting thing about the book of Revelation. It's the most political book in the New Testament. I told this to Troy Holter yesterday, and he goes, oh, no, you're not going to get political on this. I'm so tired of political. I said, no, I'm not. But the book of Revelation is the preeminent statement about the rebellion the Christians had against the imperial cult of the Caesar. You know, the Caesar said, we are son of God and Lord and God. We are your hope. And the Christians said, no, you're not. Christ is Lord. Nobody else is our hope. Christ is Lord. And this is really powerful when you recognize the figurative use of symbolism and metaphors. Revelation is full of them. Let's look at chapter 1, verse 12, just as an example. Okay, so John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. It was Sunday. Isn't that cool? It was Sunday when he got this revelation, this apocalypsis, this vision. And he said, look at the way he says. Here's an example. And when I turned, something grabbed my attention. I saw seven golden lampstands. Now we'll learn that these these lampstands are the seven churches. Seven is the number for completion. Seven days a week. Seven days complete a week. A rotation of the earth around the sun. Well, seven days complete a week. And, 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 and seven is, in the, so this is really to the, all the churches, even though he specifically gives it to these churches, it's to all the churches, to us. This is written for us. Isn't that cool? It's written to all the churches. I think we're a church. Some people question that, but I think we are. And, and, and among the lampstands, which is really cool imagery too, because Jesus said, I want my church to be a light, a city light. Wouldn't that be a great name for a movement, to be the church, a city light's movement? Was someone among the lampstands, I'm among the churches, those of you who feel abandoned, someone like a son of man, the imagery of Ezekiel used for the Messiah, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. That's the imagery of a king. The reader would know this is, this is a king. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. Now, Wait a minute, does Jesus literally need just for men? Does he need Grecian formula? Is this literally what he needs? No, this is a reference to Daniel 7, 9. He is the ancient of days. This is a statement that Jesus is God. He is God, the ancient of days. The the reader would know this is Daniel. This is imagery from Daniel. And his eyes were like blazing fire. Not literally as Jesus, it's, it's his, his, his glare pierces through our scams and our hypocrisies. He pierces right through baloney. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. That, the imagery there would be, uh, and that's actually from uh, Daniel 43 too, that it was that stability and strength. Like he's like a soldier, has bronze feet, covered in strength. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. What do you think that's the imagery of? Authority. You ever heard a mighty river rolling? Jesus is that authoritative figure. In his right hand, he held seven, st- excuse me, seven stars. He is in charge of the whole universe, the complete universe. 
And coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. I literally saw a painting one time where it showed Jesus with a sword in his mouth. Like literally this is what Jesus looks like in heaven. No, this is imagery to say he cuts through, he cuts through our illusions to reality. The word of the Lord is like a sword that cuts through pretense. His face was like the shining, the sun shining in all its brilliance. We see this in Matthew 17 when he transfigures and he takes his skin off. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. This is a really interesting thing. This is why we're told not to use the Lord's name in vain. It's because John doesn't say, when I saw him, I said, hey, big guy in the sky, how you doing? What did he do? Oh, my gosh. Now, this is our Heavenly Father, our, our Savior. So it doesn't mean that we always need to be fearful. The joy of the Lord is our strength. But it does mean that when, when you see him in all his glory, oh, my gosh, it strips away all grasping at your own power. It strips that away. Your kingdom, gone. You fall at your feet, at his feet. Then he placed his right hand on me. That's power. He is, he's saying, John, you're mine. And he says, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and life is in my hand. I hold the keys of death and Hades. Not literally. It's a symbolism for I have your future, your present in my hands. You would be very smart to give your life to me. I love this. Oriental symbolism does not mean what it says. It means what it means. Take a picture of that. Because this does not literally mean that Jesus has eyes of fire. It does not literally, he is using language that his hearers will understand to say, you, you, just, you just can't understand what it was like being in his presence. Let me describe it to you. Would you uh, can you imagine in 1843 trying to describe this to someone? You, you, would, you would just grasp for imagery. You would, you know, I, I don't know how to describe this. Bruce Metzger, in a book I recommend called Breaking the Code, says, instead of taking John's account with flat-footed literalism, we should imaginatively allow ourselves to be guided by the poetic quality of the narrative. We trivialize the account if we make it a complete picture of the heavenly Christ showing each of these features literally. One should think of it like this. A young man writes a love letter to his fiancée describing how charming she is. Her eyes, he says, are like limpid pools of water. Her cheeks are like rose petals. Her neck is graceful like the neck of a swan. And if someone were to draw a picture literally depicting all these features, the young woman certainly would not feel flattered. Like picture that literally in your mind. Ooh. Right? And this is John. So like if you get that, you get you'll, you'll begin to get revelation. You'll begin to understand it. As you read Revelation, you want to ask the question, why did John, what did he mean when he used this imagery, especially as we piece it together with some of the other imagery? 
especially as we piece it together. It is very important to fix your mind on the reality of the symbols and not on the details of the symbols themselves. As we'll look at next week at the number 7 and the number 12 and the number 666. People fixate on those numbers, right? They fixate on those numbers. They fixate on certain images, mark of the beast, outside of the stroke of his pen around that. And th this is just is, really, this is an imagery I thought of. Does anybody know what that is? That's maybe uh, Monet's most famous painting called Sunrise. And what I want you to do is I want you to fixate on this stroke right here. I want you to fixate on this one. And I want you to draw meaning from this one. What do you do if you were looking at an Impressionist painting? What do you do? You look at how all those brush strokes come together to form a picture. And if you get that, if you get, look at this one. This, this is rose, uh, uh, water lilies. This is water lilies. I was just, like, you look at the real one. This isn't the real one. If you look at the real one, it is unbelievable the use of nuance of the greens and the blues to bring this stunning picture. And if you get that, you understand that Oriental apocalyptic literature was impressionist painting with words. You don't have to just pull out the number 12 out of its context, both with the Old and the New Testament, and see it in and of itself, usually in this country through American eyes. No. Look at how they all come together. And what they all come together to say is this. Here. Understand with your soul. Obey what it says to do, because it's not just pictures. After almost every picture, it says, now do this. Do this today. Because the time is precious. And you'll be blessed. For what it's worth, I believe that. I believe that. If you will, through Revelation, allow the right side of your brain to be imaginative and bring all these together. If you need help, get Bruce Metzger's book, Breaking the Code. And you will see Jesus like you've never seen him before. As a matter of fact, the message of Revelation is actually seen many times throughout the New Testament. And for the one that's maybe my favorite, I want you to close your eyes as I speak it. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. Would you close your eyes right now? And I want you to see Jesus, okay? So let's just, maybe with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you need to, get on your knees. If you need to, open your palms. As here are the words of Paul saying in eight verses, nine verses, what Revelation says in 22 chapters. Here it is. Bow your head and close your eyes. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created, whether things in heaven or on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. He is the head, the life source of the church, and the firstborn over all creation. So that in him, we might be reconciled to God. 
or the things in heaven or on earth, visible and invisible. For once, you were alienated from God in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, this Christ has reconciled you to himself through his body on the cross. If you will continue in your faith, established and firm, established in the hope held out in the gospel. This is the word of the Lord to us through Revelation. And now, Father, may we go out with this vision of the one who is the image of the invisible God, that one that you chose to allow your fullness to dwell in him. And now here's this image. That we walk out here today hearing the words of Paul. Your attitude, how you live, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as power to be held onto. As something to be grasped. But rather, he made himself a servant being found in human likeness. And he humbled himself being found as a man to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, you exalted that, that, that being, that reality to the highest place and you gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name, say it with me, of Jesus Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ, not Caesar, not any emperor, not any president, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And all of his followers said, amen and amen. See you next week for the end of the world. All right? See you next week.